What's up, Jabronis? This is Two on Five coming to you with all of our top five lists, the only lists that matter. Here I am live on the east coast of Iowa. I'm Drake. I'm Brett. I'm in Sioux City living the dream. And today we're talking about our top five television shows. No qualifiers, just the five shows we thought were the jam. So I'm going to start it off with uh, this. This is a show that my wife and I got into in the last couple of years. Um, it's probably not a show I ever thought I would love, but it's quickly become something that's something of an obsession. It's RuPaul's Drag Race, which good show. is incredible. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, RuPaul, the most famous drag queen literally ever, hosts a reality show and she brings on anywhere from 12 to 14 uh, drag queens from all over the country and they compete in challenges that are mostly just humor. That's, it's always just about being funny. And the artistry that these uh, girls, guys, it just depends on like, that's one thing that's been interesting is um, how they always want to be referred because a lot of them when they're in character, they want to be referred to as women. And a lot of them when they're not in character, then they're referred to as guys. So it's always like, which way am I going to describe them as? It's, uh, it's something, especially for those are, Know, cisgendered, you know, hetero white males. Um, it, it's allowed us an opportunity, a window into that, that culture, and has really helped bring some artistry. You know, show us the artistry behind that culture. Also, um, it is hilarious. Like bar none, it is funny. I don't give a sh- uh, demographic. It is. It is just a funny show. But in addition, it also helps open that window for those of us that may not be familiar with that world. Um, and help normalize, help push it out. I mean, there's there's T-shirts all over the place from drag race. Each each fan has their own favorite drag queen. Um, you know, much like a uh, whether any kind of other artist, hero, professional wrestler, you, uh, people really rallied behind these queens, and it's it's beautiful. But all right. One of the other things I really like about the show is just like you were saying, it's this window into something I basically didn't know a whole lot about. Like back in college, I, I went to one of the drag shows, you know, down at the queue or whatever. But other than that, I, you know, white guy, straight, Midwest, very sheltered. Yeah, it, it wasn't something had regular exposure to and that was one of the special things about that show is providing the world exposure to it uh, I think it just helped wise and people aware of this culture this and it's it's great uh, so for me my number five a little unconventional but American gladiators and one of the things that's so special about this show, I still watch the reruns. You know, I, I pull it up on the street. My kids watched it. Uh, we have a ball with it. My oldest is really into American Ninja Warrior. And so that I realized, okay, I owe him clip shit that I like and realized that, you know, hey, dad might still be cool. But 
it made me think of the fact that Gladiators really was that pioneer that was David versus Goliath, um, you know, arena that allowed regular ass people to compete against bodybuilders and athletes try and show their, uh, you know, to, to stand up to the, that culture. Um, so part of it was the challenges that they were doing were, you know, looked superhuman. They looked like they were something out of the future. See the assault where you've got a guy with a huge Gatling gun firing tennis balls down and armed with as a Nerf crossbow. Well, that's the thing uh, that I always thought was so funny about it was like, it's a show that is very seriously being silly. Like it's, yes. it's, you know, they're, they're taking it seriously, but it's also funny because like you said, it's ridiculous. There's a guy with a cannon of that's just shooting off tennis balls. Like the yeah. image, the image itself is ridiculous. And then you sometimes just get like some Joe Blow who really had no business being there. And you know, they'd fall into a pit or something. He get wrecked. Yeah. And it was always great. Uh, we watched one tonight actually where the, they got an hamster ball and the, was to settle the ball in different pods to score points and the gladiators were in their own hamster balls trying to knock them out uh super silly premise but when you look at some of the things that have become popular since even silly shows like wipeout and of course american ninja warrior you know all of that was built off of the set of american gladiator idea of a, an obstacle course that we're going to put on film and find regular ass people through uh so yeah, it, it's one that just it hits for me, and it's always going to hit for me. Team Nitro. <laughs> Speaking of Nitro, my number four is Monday Night Raw. Oh boy! <laughs> so you guys, are, you guys are going to figure out real quick. Uh, I'm going to stop talking about professional wrestling from episode one to episode one hundred. Uh, Big wrestling stand have been since I was a child. The thing that's special about Monday Night Raw, it, it is the record holder for the longest primetime episodic program. So when you think about that, when you think about shows like Friends, shows like ER, um, you know, all of the things, NCIS, you know, all of these popular shows that have been on the air forever, it's them all. And yeah, it's a silly show. So on steroids, literally, but the ability to put a product week after week is something that deserves to be recognized. And also more than opera, because there, there is a soap opera element, but the amount of freedom they have, not always the most gentle touch with uh, world issues. Yeah, you know, I mean, there were times that they were out outright racist or bigoted, um, but there were times that they addressed real world problems in a way that nobody else. Did. Uh, some, you know, you take a character like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you see him beat the shit out of dumb beer. We've all had that dream. <laughs> We've all had that dream, and to see it lived out on screen was something that a lot of people were able to get behind and say, yeah, you know, my job sucks. My boss sucks. Uh, it's nice to see somebody finally get over on the boss. Um, 
one thing so I really it, always oh. go ahead. Well, one thing I really always uh, appreciate about that show, and I, and I think it especially at, like if you take an overarching view of it, is just how, like you were saying, sometimes it was sometimes it was really pretty transcendent, and sometimes it was really racist and bigoted. I feel like that show is very much often holding up a mirror to what's going on societally. Like, oh, absolutely. Like yeah. you know. We, there used to be a lot of crazy Russian guys who were the bad guys. And then, <laughs> then that kind of went away as that political threat lessened, at least for a time. So like, that's always been interesting about it. From the Middle East and say, get your... And, and yeah, they, they've always had a, a somewhat uh, insensitive touch. And I recognize that. But one of the things that I do think was special that they recognized was in uh, of the rating in the mid thousands competing with WCW's Monday Nitro. It was one of the first times and one of the only times that I've really seen since where a television show recognized and openly acknowledged their competition. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the fact that there was actually conversation on Monday Night Raw about what was happening at WCW and vice versa to WCW's credit this open acknowledgement of competition that I really felt drove both products to be better. Um, you know, I, I'm not, not trying to champion the free market here, but <laughs> you know, there is a certain level of competition that helps improve the quality of the product. And that was very evident throughout the Monday night wars in the mid nineties. Oh, for sure. And like, I think one of the, one of their biggest problems now is there's very little competition for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and I also think that like they've had some problems, especially with some bloat ever since it went to three hours. I think it's mm -hmm. a problem. Like it's just, it's very long and I can, I literally can't imagine watching that show live anymore. Like, no, no, that's just... unfortunately their, their competition is a lot of the independent stuff out there. And a lot of those viewers have already made their mind up that they're just never going to like Monday Night Raw. Like yeah. they're, they're the hipsters that are PBRs, um, you know, surfing the internet for found footage of, of an event in Japan. You know, they're, they're the same. And so there is no competition right now, which is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, I think as things continue to move forward pro wrestling is obviously at a different place right now than it was there's an open acknowledgement of the choreography along with the sport and so i think popularity wise where you may start to see some competition come you know in the future but as of right now it's number four on my list you know continues to be that standard for uh i'm episodic pros and you know my doom well, uh, my number four has also been on the air quite a while. Uh, not not as long, but um, started in 1997. My number four is South Park. Yes. Uh, as of, I actually looked this up. As of uh, right now, there have been 297 episodes of South Park, which wow. I, when I saw the first one, I wasn't sure there'd be five more because, you know, in 1997, I'm, 14 15 when this when this comes out and i was just like they can they can do this you can have yeah. cartoons that are swearing like this that are also kids and 
I want to say, especially at that point, I was missing out on, I was missing what was so great about that show because I was just like, ha ha, they, they said ass and oh, they killed right. Kenny again. Whereas as I grew up watching that show, I started picking up, holy, holy shit, these guys are hilarious and they are, yeah, they are cutting and like, and they don't, they don't care which side they're going to cut. Like they, no. they're, they will go for the best joke. And while I think that that hasn't always served them well, especially the, as the show has gone on, I think it was kind of a refreshing take on something. Whereas, cause at that point, like the only other animated show was the Simpsons really, you right. know, like, right. It's uh it's actually number three on my list uh, for many of the same reasons. You know, it, it does a great job, especially in the later seasons, a great job of being topical. It's really hard to stay relevant. Uh, that crew works incredibly hard to turn an episode around and, and get it out as current events are happening. And that's something that for a quote scripted show, I don't know if anybody would do that any better um you know they're they you know they write two episodes the night before the election the presidential election in 2012 because they don't know who's going to win and they're ready to rip on whoever wins the election because everybody is a target Mm -hmm. so i would say it would probably be higher on my list 10 years ago because of the the gone over the last 10 years, you know, I feel like they're, they're scoring cheap baskets. It's low fruit. It's all topical. And some of the things that I appreciated were the timeless things like some of the social commentary that never ages. Uh, and also a lot of the episodes where it really was just in kids and looking at this crazy fucked up adult world through the eyes of an eight year old. And that's something that, you know, makes that show really special for me. Yeah. Like, and especially like the last, like what, four seasons where they went from uh, basically every show was kind of just a one-off and then they decided we're going to build, we're going to do continuity to the point where we're going to build a whole season around a storyline. And I mean, I like, first of all, I'm not sure that those season long arcs even work, but even if they, even if you think they do, I feel like the episodes themselves suffer because like South Park at its prime was just amazing at hitting you from the beginning. We're here. We have an A plot and a B plot. They are going to, they might intersect. They might not, but you're going to get, you know, uh, probably 12 solid minutes of A plot, eight, eight to 10 of B. And, but we're going to hit, you're going to have like four, four to six amazing jokes. And then at the end, it's over and we're going to bring it on back. Whereas like right. it's new. I don't know that they do that all the time and it's a problem. I'm, I mean, other than some of the uh, two and three parters they did years ago, most every episode was able to stand on its own. And so by the start of the next episode, the slate was clean, you know, was alive again. Uh, you know, everybody had forgiven Cartman for his transgressions and you got another 22 minutes of, you know, a brand new thing. And so for us, it was a great opportunity to say, I think season nine, episode four is the best episode. Yep. 
Yeah. And then you can put it up, you know, Brett can say, I think season episode three is the best one. And you can put them side by side and compare them to apples. Uh, unfortunately, with the later seasons, you can't necessarily do that. Well, and like, I, I also feel like some of the newer characters they brought in just aren't as funny. Like, they're not. I mean, you know, some of the characters that were there from the beginning and then grew into like the funniest characters, like Randy or whatever, because, yeah, yeah. by the way, Randy is the best character on South Park. If we ever do a list Hands on that, down. it's not close. Yeah. He's such a giant weirdo and he's great. But, you know, like PC Principal, whereas like there's some funny bits with PC Principal, but I don't know if it works all the time, you know? Yeah, I feel like the thing that couldn't pop up, you know, a couple times a season and go back away. But, the but they can't because they're to... so married to the topical. Yes. And, yes. and also, there's a point where... I... And I don't want to always just be like, oh, the times we live in. But there is a point <laughs> where, you know, shitting on both sides is a problem. Okay? Like, one side is doing legitimate harm, and one side doesn't want you to just be a dick for no reason. And I feel like right. they equate those. And that's not always great. Like, come on, guys. Like, eh whatever yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm almost talking that's a whole about other podcast yeah and it's ridiculous I, I like, <laughs> like the vast majority of that show i love i think it's hysterically funny and moving on so yep. my number three is another comedy it has been off the air for almost 30 years and it is the golden girls yes. uh which uh as I think about it, it's kind of, I don't know. I'm definitely not their target demo, but everyone is their target demo. But I just, um, recently Hulu actually added the entire series and, uh, my wife likes to go to bed before I do. So I had time to kill. So I would, I started watching it and I, you know, I could watch one a night or, you know, three or four weeks. So I ended up getting through the whole show and that show was just a joke machine. Like it was just yes. built to just spit out as many funny jokes as they could. And while there's probably a couple things that haven't aged great because, you know, like in 1985 calling somebody out for, enjoying sex was a little different than it is now but right. overall like i don't know the archetypes that they like each character does heavy lifting in every episode and it's just it's so funny and like the the one thing that's interesting watching a show from you know 30 years ago or whatever to now is they did not care about continuity like none at all i none mean whatsoever you know, there's characters that are that these women's kids that disappear and aren't talked about again. <laughs> and you're like, uh, I thought, she, okay, well, and right. like uh, Dorothy's son literally at one point is 25. And then at one point is 45 and that show only went on for seven years. So, okay. But it was just really funny. No, I think 
one of the things that is special about that is not only was the writing great, um, you know, there are some things that haven't aged well, but, you know, all in all, the writing is great and is still good. The cast for a sitcom, you know, at that time, especially in the mid 80s, when everybody is trying to appeal to the yuppie crowd, you take a show and you put four old women on it. And they are the funniest four people on television at that time, you know, and and I think that was something that was special was we don't care. We're not going to try and add cast just to make this fit whatever target is. We're going to take these four women and we're going to make them the funniest people on television. Well, and like, and all four of them won, won an Emmy. Yeah. Which, which is wild. That doesn't, that just doesn't happen. And the other thing about, um, the Golden Girls, while, you know, there are a couple things that didn't age well, a lot of it aged very well. Like, that show yeah. took on, like, I actually uh, took some notes about it. They, they took on gay issues, elder care, homelessness. They were talking about HIV, death, assisted suicide. And, like, yeah. this is a primetime show that's literally in the top ten every year. And they're doing this, and it's still funny. I mean, yeah. the only show I can think about I can think of that comes close to uh, being that funny and also bringing in uh, these heavy topics, like where you're, you're just laughing and then suddenly it hits you in the chest like a hammer. Only show I can think of that does that that well is probably Scrubs. Yeah, Scrubs is good. Um, I will give honorable mention to Family Matters uh, because I feel like that was another one that for the time it probably got uh, – tagged as a minority show like a show designed for minorities but they did a great job bringing issues to the forefront um you know yeah but carl's a cop man he is but (laughs) i'm sorry you watched that two minute bit of steven urkel becoming stefan urkel and it is the best acting i've ever seen also that's just super wild like you know, it's it's a complete tangent, but it, the fact that family matters—he was never supposed to be a main character. They were just right. gonna—they were just gonna have it be about this family, and then he was huge, and they brought it in. And by the end of it, he's doing weirdo DNA experiments yeah. and proposing to Laura at Disney World. Yeah, what the hell? Oh, I mean, I am mad because like I—I I, I was the target demo. Like I was a kid, and it was great. But mm-hmm. yep. So for me, moving on to number two, this is where we get a little serious, guys. Um, my number two is Breaking Bad. I really love this show. I think that it is one of, if not the best example of character development over the span of multiple seasons. Uh, when you watch Walter White, Jesse Pinkman, all of these characters grow and develop and make choices that help them continue down the path they're on um it's really amazing if you haven't watched it please go watch it but basically the premise is a chemistry teacher is diagnosed with stage four cancer and in order to pay his bills he decides to start cooking methamphetamine uh just in that synopsis alone it sounds crazy but when you realize where our healthcare system is, 
the prevalence of methamphetamine, it really was kind of a match made in heaven for story writing. And, you know, it, it touches on all those issues, you know, the, the healthcare epidemic, the individual struggle with one's own mortality, you know, dealing with drug addiction is particularly methamphetamine and, you know, working class. And at the end of it, you know, you get this grand plan, you know, from episode one, season one, they start painting you a picture that does not end until the very episode. And at the end of it, it will be wanting more. And we see now <clears throat> that even with that, they recognize the, the desire for more. So Netflix is turning out a Jesse Pinkman movie coming to a couch near you. But it, it's one of those that I think is going to end the test of time for, you know, years to come. You're goddamn right. And, <laughs> uh, bring bad didn't make my list. It's, I, I love this show. I, I do love the show. It's, um, the one thing I'll say about it, like, uh, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of some of the peak TV type stuff like Mad Men and sure. sh uh, the Sopranos that like are incredibly well done, but it, it's, it can be a tough watch. Like that's, it's not, oh, a yeah. it, it's not it a show I want to like work at times. It's not a show I want to go back to, but like I, Mad Men and uh, to another extent succession that's on right now, uh, it's this incredibly serious drama that's super well acted and then at times it is literally the funniest thing on tv yes like <laughs> yes uh i when walter throws a pizza a comically <laughs> comically big pizza on the roof and like it's still just up there in the next episode <laughs> yes. it's so funny and what's What's so great about it is the people who own that house in Albuquerque, they had to put up a fence because people kept throwing freaking pizzas on their roof. And they're like, yeah, it's <laughs> funny, but we got to go up and get that damn pizza down, guys. But It's funny for like three pizzas. Yeah. Like, I would put up with it for like three pizzas. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I can understand their frustration. Oh, I, I appreciate oh, sure. it from all the way up here. Uh, keep throwing those pizzas, guys. But no, I, I think in a lot of ways that the show is a masterpiece. I think the uh, showrunner creator, the Vince Gilligan, he is just incredible because he went yeah. from that to making a prequel show featuring a hilarious character, but definitely a side character that did not have a lot of backstory and who knew if it was going to go. And Better Call Saul is... I, I've, I'm not caught up with it by any stretch, but what I've seen it's on the level. Like it's not this step down and for right. a prequel show to be at that level for, cause I, as a consumer of media, I do not need a prequel basically ever. No, but the fact that they've made that interesting and well done, I just, I think that guy's on <clears throat> his own level. So do we got like, I thought breaking bad ended perfectly. Do I need to see more Jesse Pinkman? I didn't, but if they think they've got a story, yeah. Fuck it, give it to me. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think one of the things that's special with, with Better Call Saul and even just Saul Goodman, the character, is for those of us that are ready fans of Bob Odenkirk, you know, to see him show up in that role 
and be the greasy dickhead that he can be. Uh, it, it was great. And from Breaking Bad's perspective, he was just that, a greasy dickhead, you know, in it for himself. And so then to go back and run a prequel where you start to have a little bit more feeling for that character was pretty special. Well, and like just the depth they've injected to what was a, a comic relief character. Because, yeah. yeah, like he was there to, you know, show up in a scene, throw off three good jokes and keep it moving. Yep. And yep. like that anybody cares and they're on multiple seasons. That's, I feel like that's a testament to the talent and writing of, of those staffs. Um, well, my number two, uh, it's The Wire. Um, and mostly because this this could and probably should be number one, but I rank these mostly by my favorites versus what is the best. The Wire is definitely the best television show I've ever watched. But, um, you know, the only... Five seasons, and there's one false note for me, and that, and it's a big problem. Is the serial killer plotline in uh, season five? I sure. I think it's a big problem, just because it stretches believability so much. And I felt like the wire, you know, it made it made its name by it's so believable, and and you know they do the work of showing you how everything happens and why it's all connected. And like, you know, I don't know if this was experience for you, but like Luke, my old roommate, he was the one pushing me to watch it. And I was like, I don't know, man, it, I've heard it's pretty heavy and you, you got to watch it. And so I ended up having to have surgery and I was laid up for like over a week. So I had nothing better to do. So I had his DVDs because this was, before everything streamed and right. <laughs> i put it on the, the box set yeah you know and i put it on and i watched the first episode i'm like i don't know and it was definitely a case of having to learn how to watch that show it's absolutely it's just dense in a way that like i feel like a lot i can't think of other shows that are that dense and mm -hmm. it basically teaches you how to watch it and, you know, the first season, it's basically, you know, this, this cops versus drug dealers, and they're trying to, you know, follow the money, figure it out. And, but the drug dealers are so sympathetic that to the point where there's characters there that you're rooting for way more than the cops. And then season two starts expanding. And by season three, it's like fucking Shakespeare. It's just, it's expanded yeah. so far and it's pulled out to the point where you're just like, wow, uh, Baltimore, but by extension, it's not just Baltimore, it's literally just urbanization and you know, decay, city decay. And you're just, absolutely, you're, it's mind blowing. So for me, The Wire is number one. Uh, go ahead and shut the podcast off after this because you don't need to hear another number one. It Untrue. is the Untrue. best show. <laughs> it is the best show ever. Um, the thing about it is I, I will say compared to Breaking Bad, you know, and there is no Breaking Bad, without it, but compared to Breaking Bad, I will say that Breaking Bad has 
probably thorough character development. You know, the the growth that you see out of each individual character is probably greater in Breaking Bad than The Wire. What you see in The Wire is this layering that comes every season. You start with this pretty standard, you know, cops and robbers type drama and sidebar. As long as Idris Elba and Wood Harris are on the same team doing whatever, cops, robbers, I don't care. I'm going to cheer for them. Man, it's triggers them. So, Bitch. That's right. Here is a snake. Stringer is a snake. But you you start with this pretty simple story that as every season's on, you layer into, you add layers, uh, you bring in influence, you bring in dirty political money, uh, you bring in the war on drugs, you know, just as a general capital W war on drugs and, and what that has looked like for and then you bring in the media and, you know, the media's role in all of this to try and help identify the issues. Um, and education. Where the city and education, yeah. And so for me, the city of Baltimore probably shows the most, most depth out of any of the character. Uh, and, and it really just comes through that continual adding of layers every season. Yeah, I like... I get what you're saying when you're comparing them to Breaking Bad, but like the one thing, I, the, the one thing that The Wire has that the Breaking Bad doesn't attempt, it, they're different shows, is just the scope. Like The Wire is just all about like there's so many more characters because the, there's so much happening, and like they want to show you as many sides, if not all the sides of every issue that they're trying to tackle. And the fact they're getting this done in ten episode seasons. Right, like it's 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 incredible, and some of those characters, like you know Omar, and Wallace, and Wallace is oh, not, yeah. and Wallace is not on that show long. Like, oh man, he does not, you know, like that is not a full season of TV, and that is the first no. season, and I still am just like, dude, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I will say, you know, Omar and Bubbles, especially, you know, we got. A lot more growth out of them uh originally because those characters planned for long you know mm -hmm. they were supposed to be bit parts that just kind of uh this this little side story and then move on and then they saw the actors and also the potential for growth and they they got to carry that out through all five seasons, which thankfully they did well like um, another thing i really did like about it was uh, how quietly they would do something that was really transgressive and, and just like kind of mind blowing. Like, like the character of Omar is insane. Like, yeah. how does this work? This is, right. you know, this, you know, small stature man who is a straight up gangster and like not in, not even in the, like he's very cool, but also not in the cool gangster way. Like he's just, right. you know, he is robbing people. And then, I mean, it's out of nowhere because they didn't ever deal with it, but then he's a gay man and right. it's, it's treated as normal. Like that's crazy for a television show to do, to yeah. do that. And, and I just felt like, the respect they showed that and they did that over and over and over again. Right. And like I said, I, I think especially go ahead. And, and like I said, I, I just, like I said, it's probably the best thing on TV, 
I've ever seen. But, and it's because it had so few missteps, but man, I, I feel like that, that serial killer plotline is such a, such a misfire. Sure. Back to Omar. Um, I, I, there were some group about that character that were just amazing. And I think also, especially in the light of the way that show was designed, you know, there were a lot of references and tributes paid to hip hop and hip hop culture has not always been the friendliest to gay rights well, um, or, you know, even the acknowledgement of, Jeez. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's one of those that to, to see the justice they gave Omar and his character and his sexuality, you know, while, still staying true to maybe its other roots, I, I thought was remarkable. Um, it's one of those shows for me, you know, Breaking Bad, where you, with Breaking Bad, you start feeling for individuals. You know, you, you feel for Walter White, you feel for Jesse Pinkman, um, and you feel for individuals in The Wire too, but at the end of it, you're mad. Like, you are mad this world and how fucked it is. Um, and every chance the wire got, it spoke truth to power. You know, it, it showed you, it held up this mirror of how fucked up the world can be. And that's one thing that even as now we're in a world with no pay phones and no pagers, you know, technology has moved on from some of the logistic things that got the wire over the show remains relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the system is still fucked, for lack of a better word. You know, the, the system is still rigged in the same manner. And so it's really easy to relate to, regardless of the technology that's that's being shown in the show. Yes. Agreed. That was, that was my number two. Uh, the Wire was my number one. So all we're, all we're waiting on is... Your bullshit, the shit number one. Hey, well, my number one is Friday Night Lights. Uh, right. Whereas I just spent some time railing against the wire and an entire plot line I thought was crap. There is an almost ent- an entire season of Friday Night Lights that is not great due to the writer strike season two. It's a problem, but. I love Friday Night Lights. I love just about everything about that show. I think the casting of that show, especially uh, the the two lead characters, uh, Coach Taylor and his wife, Tammy. I've never seen a television marriage that I think is as nuanced and as realistic as that. Uh, It, Thrilling seems like a weird word to use, but it was sort of thrilling to watch these two people that are actually, that seem actually married and like, you know, they, they love each other and they're very, they respect each other, but they pissed at each other and they fight and they talk about it and they work through things like adults. And I just feel like that's 
super rare when you're watching a television drama, especially a network television drama. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this, this show that's ostensibly about high school football, it's not, I mean, it's not. It's, it's, it's about small town life and how in a lot of ways that's dying. And, right. you know, I just, I was stunned at how much I love that show. The pilot of that show was actually directed by Peter Berg. Um, mm -hmm. He's big, you know, big shot director. And the way that he shot that um, very, very handheld, naturalistic, ended up feeding through the rest of the series, which makes it seem more realistic than it probably should when almost every football game ends on some 60 yard bomb touchdown or whatever. Sure. But yeah, it, it's a little bit different than, you know, say even the film Friday night lights, you know, varsity blues or any other Texas high school football movie you can think of. Uh, Brett and I are both big. Like that's, that's ways. But I'll say, this was a show that I watched because I like football and the more I watched it, the more I cared about everything else going on besides the football game. Um, you know, you're, you're right. I, I feel like NBC fought way above their weight class on this when it came to writing for most of the show. Um, obviously when, you know, season two came out, they were, you know, grabbing their ass, but for the most part, I mean, it was a, a great new show that uh, built around this real simple idea that shouldn't have lasted that long. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're talking about all, it's it's tougher to keep that relevant than even, you know, shout out to a show of theirs, Glee, where like with Glee, you can just plug new in if you want to and you know keep that vehicle go just by bringing new music in um if you don't do something else the football side of it eventually get boring and that was something that they didn't let happen there was enough going on in that show that kept you engaged that you weren't watching it for you know friday night football action right and i think because it was like, like, like I was saying, it was very much a reflection on small town life, but it was also hyper specific because if you've read anything about it, seen any documentaries or I haven't lived it, but Texas football is its own weird culture. And there's so much tied up in that. There's, there's so much of, of these towns identities and it's a it's a weird place where this, the inherent classism and racism is almost ignored, but mm -hmm. it's always on everybody's mind. And I thought Friday Night Lights did a really good job of doing that through specific characters, especially later in the in the series when Michael B. Jordan joined the cast, right. and they shifted uh, they shifted Coach Taylor to the to the second high school, and that was. Uh, majority black and right. like I was just very surprised that they you know like there was 
that they could keep it going when they did things that were shark jumping moments. Like mm-hmm. they had a baby, <laughs> they, which it, I mean, usually on TV, that's a problem. Like that, right. that means that you have run out of what you're going to, what you're talking about. So you're like, right. let's add conflict. And you know, they removed a main character from what his entire identity was and shifted it over to sort of becoming a fish out of water thing that right. shouldn't have worked either, but it and did. he still performed. Yeah. And I think that's writing, but I think it's cat mostly casting. Like there are probably five actors on that show that can just break your heart no matter what. Yeah. And, that's a pretty special cast. And I mean, you know, Connie, Connie Britton's gone on. She's had a couple different shows now. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is becoming a giant star. Right. Like, they caught some of these people early. And yeah. It, and it's just like, I know it's not the best show, but it's the one I love the most. And <laughs> that finale, the, the last episode, the final scene, like, if it doesn't do something for you, you're a fucking soulless monster because it's just, it, it's, and it's designed to do that. Like they know what they're doing, but absolutely. Oh man. But anyway, that's the number one show. So we'll see. <laughs> well, anyway, kids, that's this episode. We will catch you soon. All right. Good night, jabronis. And again, if you have good things to say, we'd love to hear them. And if you don't, we don't care. So go fuck yourself. Yep.